Okay, so what we're doing then is we're looking at this summary of the biblical covenants from the Garden of Eden to the Glory of Heaven by J.R. Williamson. And this is just a summary of everything that we've studied in the book over the last many months that we've gone through it. And uh, so what I want to do is just uh, read through this with you and make some brief comments in relationship to it. Now, I want you to understand there is not a single throwaway line in these six pages. All right. And so it's easy to just sit there and just boom, 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 read through it. Every single phrase in every single sentence was put there for a reason and has real significance and meaning. OK, um, so it says, first of all, he talked about the importance of the covenants. Why are we even why do we even care about covenants? Well, first of all, <clears throat> they provide the central organizing structure of the Bible. Just like you cannot understand human anatomy without understanding the skeleton, you cannot understand the Bible without understanding the covenants. The skeleton provides the central organizing principle of the entire body upon which all of our organs hang and all of our systems are, are dependent and organized according to, and therefore uh, the, the, the Bible is the skeleton, I mean, pardon me, the covenants are the skeleton of the Bible. So they provide the central organizing structure of the Bible. They unify and explain the unfolding story of redemption that it contains. The Bible is a story of redemption. And that story has to be told. And as you read your 66 books of the Bible, it seems there's like there's a lot of disjointed, uh, unconnected, and incoherent um, things in there that that are confusing uh, that's one of the things I hear people say to me the Bible's a very confusing book uh, when I try to read it through well what the covenants do is they unify the Bible they tie it all together and they explain the unfolding story of redemption that it contains that story of redemption isn't told in a minute Okay, it starts in Genesis 3.15 and it ends in Revelation chapter 22. And that story of redemption is told through the covenants. And that's the reason why they're important. If you ever want to understand uh, the story of redemption, you've got to understand the covenants. And then the third thing is, and through them, the benefits of Christ's redeeming work are conveyed. And the centrality of his person set forth. How are you going to get this salvation the Bible presents to you? Through the covenants. It's through the covenants that God conveyed all of his redemptive benefits to his people. And so if you ever hope to be redeemed and ever hope to be reconciled to God, it will be through the covenants and uh, meeting the terms of those covenants. And then, of course, they set forth the centrality of his person. The central theme of every single one of those covenants is Jesus Christ. And so <clears throat> we say that the Bible is a Christocentric book. Jesus said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. And so I don't care if you're reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fill in the blank with the rest of the books. They're all about Jesus Christ. And what are the covenants about? They're about Jesus Christ. So that's the importance of the covenants. They're the central organizing structure of the Bible. They unify and explain the unfolding story of redemption that it contains. And through them, you receive the benefits of Christ's saving work. And they are all about Jesus Christ. All right. The second thing uh, we talked about as we went through our study was the definition of a covenant. 
We said that a covenant is a sovereign, gracious, oath-sworn promise which defines the relationship between God and his people. Now, you'll notice the words oath-sworn promise are underlined. And the reason why they're underlined is because that's the very core and heart of that definition. We could say a covenant is an oath-sworn promise and be correct and complete. Uh, However, we have a couple more adjectives. A covenant is sovereign in that God is the one who initiates covenants and declares their terms. Man doesn't go up to God and say, oh God, I'm going to make a covenant with you and here's my terms. Doesn't happen that way ever. Okay. Um, God comes to man and says, I've decided to have a relationship with you based on the terms of a covenant. Here's the covenant. So it's sovereign, comes from him, he initiates them, and he dictates the terms. Secondly, they're gracious. God's not obligated to make any covenants with us, okay? Um, He apparently makes no covenants with the fallen angels, okay? And thus never has any kind of a relationship with them, uh, just the judge who, who reserves them in chains against the day of judgment and darkness, And so the covenants are gracious in that they convey to us, every one of them, benefits we don't deserve. Okay? So every covenant is filled with grace. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, the Old Testament is full of law and the New Testament is full of grace. Baloney. There's as much grace in the Old Testament as there is in the New, and there's as much law in the New Testament as there is in the Old. Okay? Um, The Bible is full of law and full of grace throughout um, its its theme, throughout its uh, content, pardon me. So it's a a sovereign, gracious, and then it's an oath-sworn promise. Now, the Bible's full of promises, okay, but those aren't covenants. For example, God says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Those are all promises, but none of those are covenants. A, a covenant is a particular kind of promise. It's a promise sealed by the swearing of an oath. Okay? And there's a very few times in the scripture when God not only promised something, but he says, Not only am I promising this to you, I swear on myself that I will do it. And those comprise covenants. And that's the very essence of a covenant. Um, You know, people talk about, um, you know, a covenant of works in the garden or a covenant of grace. Um, Those are theological constructs, not biblical ones. None of them contain an oath-sworn promise. Therefore, none of them are covenants. All right. Um, a covenant is a sovereign, gracious, oath-sworn promise which defines the relationship between God and his people. Covenants define relationships. They define the terms upon which two parties relate to each other. Okay? So, (laughs) our our resident drug addict is sleeping. (laughs) So, anyway... um, You only tease your friends like that, right? Okay. So anyway, um, uh, covenants define relationships, okay? You have a marriage covenant, it defines your relationship. Uh, What what your commitments are, what your privileges are. We have a church covenant. Our nation has a covenant. It's called the Constitution. Covenants define the nature of your relationships with people. All right. 
<clears throat> so what God does is he comes and he swears uh, an oath to keep a promise um, that is gracious, that is determined by him, by which he defines how he's going to relate to us and on what terms. Okay? Third thing, five major covenants of the Bible. Now, there are other covenants in the Bible between men, okay, where, uh, for example, Isaac uh, entered into a, a covenant with, with Ahimelech, uh, those types of covenants uh, between nations and kings and, and those types of things, but those are human. Uh, we're talking about the divine covenants, all right? The five major covenants of the Bible are the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Old Covenant, the Vedic Covenant, and the New Covenant. Now, now, all of these covenants were necessary because man failed to keep God's command in the Garden of Eden. And they are the unfolding of God's promise of redemption declared in Genesis 3.15. Now, <clears throat> what you have in Genesis is the creation and then the fall. And in the fall, Satan entered into the human race. He tempted Eve. She, of course, ate of the tree. She gave to Adam and he ate. And as a result, the creation that God made was ruined. From top to bottom, it was defiled and depraved. And so what God does is he comes and he pronounces curses upon those who participated in that destruction but he didn't just stop with the curses. He also pronounced the fact that he was going to completely undo all the destruction that Satan had wrought and that Adam and Eve had facilitated and participated in. When he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. And so what God is doing is he's declaring war with Satan and uh, with Satan's seed, uh, he's saying that through the woman and through the woman's seed, uh, that he is going to um, triumph over this destruction and have what he originally designed, which was um, the, 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 the purity and the relationship and, and the place of Eden, which he had initially created. So... Uh, why were the covenants necessary to provide the redemption that he promised in Genesis 3.15? He makes a promise in Genesis 3.15. I'm going to undo it all. I'm going to put it all back. And then how does he do that? Through covenants. That's why the covenants were necessary. Every one of them is a covenant that declares the salvation, redemption, restoration that God is going to achieve. Notice the next paragraph. The covenants are all about God restoring mankind back to the purity in which he created them, restoring them back to the land that he had prepared for them, and restoring them back to the relationship with himself for which they were first created. So what did Adam have in the garden before the fall? Well, he was pure. Didn't have any sin, right? And he had a land, Garden of Eden, right? And he had a relationship. God came down in the cool of the day and talked with him. 
Well, all that was, was ruined, right? Adam lost his purity. He lost his land. He was driven out of the garden, you remember. Okay? And he lost his relationship with God. And it's those three things that God is restoring in salvation. And the covenants are the means through which he restores them. By means of God's work through these covenants, the work of Satan in the Garden of Eden is destroyed and Satan himself is crushed and utterly defeated. You know, salvation really isn't so much about you as it is about God defeating Satan. You know, what you really have here is a celestial battle between God and Satan and you are... Um, the prize. Uh, if, if Satan wins, he gets you. And if God wins, he gets you. And, and you're kind of uh, the marker as to who uh, triumphs in this battle. And you remember the story of Job? The story really wasn't about Job, was it? It was a story about a battle between Satan and God in heaven and who was going to win in the battle. And what Job went through was a vindication of God's triumph over Satan and, and his effort to take control of one of God's people. So um, really what we have is this cosmic conflict between God and Satan in which we are participants and Satan is fighting to have us and God is fighting to have us and God is going to triumph. And... Uh, that's really where the battle is. <clears throat> then I talk, and then he talked about the, the five major covenants individually. <clears throat> First of all, he talked about the Noahic covenant. Notice that I give the verses there for it. won't turn to those, but there, there they are. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> the Noahic covenant, this covenant is both a frightening preview of the day of judgment. What is the flood and why is it there? 2 Peter chapter 3 says it's a preview, it's a picture of the worldwide judgment that God is going to bring on all peoples of the earth. No one's going to escape. But it's also a picture, a wonderful depiction of deliverance in Christ. What is the ark? It's a picture of the means of deliverance from the day of judgment. And all who are in the ark, all who are in Christ will be delivered from the wrath of God that falls upon the Christ-rejecting world. Jesus is the ark of safety from God's wrath on the day of judgment. What's the Noahic covenant about? It's about Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. Every covenant is about Jesus Christ. The parties to this covenant are God and all humans and animals and their descendants. Every single person is in the Noahic covenant. Second page. The nature of this covenant is that it is unconditional. That is, it's, not, its fulfillment is not conditioned on anything man does. God says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And he doesn't ask man to do anything to ensure the fulfillment of the covenant. All right? It's unconditional, it's unilateral. God does it all. The promises of this covenant are three. First of all, the creation as a whole will never again suffer for the sins of men. Genesis 8, 21. 
That is, he says, never again am I going to destroy the natural creation for the sins of men. Because the flood didn't just fall upon men, it fell upon all the animals that weren't in the ark, all the plants, and upon the physical earth itself, which was dramatically changed in its contour and makeup as a result of the flood. Caleb? That's correct. Okay. And, and that, that, that destruction <clears throat> is um, uh, not a suffering for sin, but a cleansing from sin. So the creation of the whole will never again suffer for the sins of men. Uh, the creation is living in expectation of its cleansing. And you know, it's just like when you die, your body rots and it gets resurrected. Okay. Um, you know, we die in hope and we die in union with Christ and we die in expectation of the resurrection. We look forward to it. And the whole creation, it says in Romans 8, is groaning together in expectation of its redemption. And so the creation is not looking forward to a judgment. Uh, it's looking forward to the adoption. And that process involves decay and restoration, just like our bodies involve decay and restoration. But that's not a judgment. Uh, on us, of course, the hell, the wicked will will undergo judgment, yeah, but not the creation. Okay, there will be worldwide stability in the created order. That is, springtime, summer, harvest, winter, uh, rain, sunshine. It's all going to be predictable and stable. In other words, there will be no catastrophism in nature, no worldwide catastrophism in nature ever again. Um, not that we don't have tornadoes and floods and lightning and and uh, all those earthquakes, all those ugly things now, but they're not worldwide in scope. And they don't disturb the predictable order of summer and winter and springtime and harvest uh, that God promised. Thirdly, God promises <clears throat> that he will never again bring a flood over the whole earth, okay, um, in, in chapter 9. So those are the three promises. The sign of the covenant, the rainbow, and the responsibilities the covenant places upon us to be fruitful and multiply, to freely eat all things except blood, and that's still binding on us, by the way. Uh, the setting of blood apart as sacred draws our attention to the special role that the blood of Christ will play in our redemption. And that's why we don't treat it with, with, uh, with, with contempt and or consume it. And carry out capital punishment against those who murder men. So those are the responsibilities God set before us. Uh, but our failure to keep those responsibilities doesn't affect in any way him keeping uh, his terms of the covenant. All right? The next covenant is the Abrahamic covenant. And you'll notice there's five passages listed there because the covenant was repeated and expanded and explained in five different passages. Um, the reason for the repetition was the importance of the covenant. Now notice the first phrase there. This covenant is the root out of which both the old covenant and the new covenant grow. It therefore has tremendous foundational importance. If you don't understand the Abrahamic covenant, you're not going to understand the old covenant, you're not going to understand the new covenant, and you're not going to see the unity. I mean, when is, when is the Abrahamic covenant instituted? Genesis 12. Got it? Only 12 chapters into the Bible. And there it is, and it ties the whole rest of the Bible together. 
And the two major covenants, which are the old and the new, I mean, where does the old covenant start? Exodus 19. Okay, all the way through Malachi. And then the new covenant, of course, in the Gospels, all the way through to Revelation. And so the whole Old Testament and the whole New Testament is all based on the Abrahamic covenant. The parties to this covenant are God and Abraham and his descendants. The nature of this covenant is that it's unconditional. The sign of the covenant was circumcision. The promises of this covenant are three. The promise of the land as an everlasting possession to the people of God. Uh, now we begin to get the inkling of, of the promise of the restoration of Eden, the land, okay? And then the promise of the seed, that his descendants would be innumerable. And so there's going to be a vast body of people descended from uh, Abraham. And then the promise of the blessing, that God would be a God to you and to your seed after you. Now, notice the next phrase. God fulfills these promises in a progressive manner over time and in an increasingly greater fashion as history unfolds. Now, here's the critical sentence. They, that is the promises, ultimately have a much greater significance than appears at the first. You know, it's like you take a seed and you stick it in the ground. It doesn't seem like much, right? But then you come back 50 years later and there's a giant oak tree there and you would have never thought that that little seed could have produced that big result. And in the same way, when you look at these little promises that God makes to Abraham, you don't think too much of them at first when you read, first read Genesis 12, 1 to, 1 to 3, okay? But when you see how the seed of that promise uh, grows and expands and ultimately becomes the entire new covenant and the whole restoration of Eden then you see, wow, this was a big deal. All right, now notice the, the, the chart. We have the Abrahamic covenant has three promises. Notice the land, the seed, and the blessing in the left-hand column. <clears throat> now, the Abrahamic covenant <clears throat> is fulfilled twice. It's fulfilled once in the old covenant and once in the new covenant. Notice the promise of the land, or, or the Abrahamic covenant. The old covenant is made with Abraham. Just start at the top. The Abrahamic covenant. The old covenant is made with Abraham's physical seed. That is, his bloodline descendants. Okay? The new covenant is made with Abraham's spiritual seed. That is, those who have Abraham's faith. Okay? And they may or may not be his bloodline descendant. In fact, the vast majority of them are not his bloodline descendant. The vast majority of them are Gentiles, right? Okay? Second line, the land. Under the Old Covenant, the promise of the land was the land of Israel, also known as Palestine. And so God gave them all the land that he promised to Abraham in Genesis 15. And it makes it very clear in Joshua 24 that God gave Israel all the land that he promised them. But under the New Covenant, the land that is given is the new heavens and the new earth. That is the ultimate restoration of Eden. Okay, Palestine was a, a partial restoration of Eden, but the new heavens and the new earth are the full restoration. The seed, um, the seed that God gave to Abraham was Isaac. And then, of course, Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had the 12 tribes. And so Abraham had a physical seed. 
God kept the promise of giving Abraham a seed. But of course, who was the seed ultimately under the new covenant? It was Jesus Christ, right? He was the seed of Abraham. And all those born of Christ through regeneration. That's why we're born again, okay? Because that gives us a relationship to Christ who is related to Abraham, and thus we're heirs of the Abrahamic promise. Um, Galatians 3.29, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So Abraham had Christ, Christ has us, and thus we are Jews, descended from Abraham and heirs of all the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. And then, of course, there is the blessing. Under the old covenant, the blessing was physical prosperity, the prophets and the scriptures. God was a God to national Israel in what way? He gave them physical blessings, he gave them the prophets, he gave them the scriptures. But under the new covenant, the blessing is salvation, justification, glorification. Okay? So all the blessings of full restoration to relationship with God. They had an external relationship with God under the old covenant. We have an internal and personal relationship with God under the new. Now notice at the bottom it says that the old covenant is the lesser fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. The new covenant is the greater fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And that really helps tie, tie it all together, okay? How the old covenant and the new covenant both flow out of and both fulfill the promise of the Abrahamic covenant, the old covenant in a lesser way, and the new covenant in the fuller, completer way uh, that God intended in terms of the restoration of Eden. Because... What is God going to restore? The purity of the land and the relationship. And what does the Abrahamic covenant achieve for us? Restoration of the purity of the land and the relationship. All right, next page, page three. We have the third covenant is the old covenant, and that's recorded in Exodus 19, 5 to 6. The Abrahamic covenant is the root out of which the old covenant grows. Old covenant just didn't appear out of nowhere. Okay, it was the initial fulfillment of and of the Abrahamic covenant. All right, all God does in the old covenant is the fruit of the Abrahamic covenant. This covenant is a bilateral conditional covenant, which is different from the other four. In it, both God and men have responsibilities to fulfill. If Israel as a nation obeys God's law, then he will shower them with the blessings he has promised in the covenant. Okay? In this covenant, God codified the civil law, which was the law Israel would be governed by as a nation. He also codified the ceremonial law, which was the law the religious life of Israel was to be governed by. He also codified the moral law, the Ten Commandments, by which the moral behavior of all mankind from the time of creation to the end of time is to be governed. So you have the threefold division of the law, civil, ceremonial, and moral. Uh, these three aspects of the law collectively comprise the law of God that Israel was to obey. The promises that God made to the nation of Israel, if they would obey his law, were three. One, God would make them a special treasure to himself above all people, that is, having his special care, protection, and blessing, and this is all in Exodus 19, 5 to 6. They will be a kingdom of priests, that is, a special body of people who had special access to God, fellowship with God, and whose worship would be received by God. And three, they will be a holy nation. They would be separated from the sins of the nations around them and escape the destruction that the sins of those nations would bring upon them. 
So those are the promises that God gave to Israel under the Old Covenant. And by the way, those same promises are given to us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. And so all the promises that God gave to Israel under the Old Covenant that they failed to obtain because they didn't obey are all given to us under the New Covenant because Jesus did obey. Now notice, Moses mediated this covenant between God and His people. Moses was the mediator of the Old Covenant. The sign of the covenant was the Sabbath day. I give the references. It signified the rest God had given Israel from her bondage in Egypt and the rest she would enjoy in her land if she kept God's law. So what was the sign of the Noahic covenant? The rainbow. What was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant? Circumcision. What's the sign of the old covenant? The Sabbath. Okay? The Sabbath is no longer a covenantal sign since the old covenant has passed away. However... It is still a moral obligation, like it always was, upon all people in every circumstance. Only the day of observance has been changed under the new covenant. And while the ceremonial and the civil law passed away with the end of the old covenant, which occurred due to Israel's failure to keep her side of the covenant obligations, the entire moral law still remains in force and will to the end of time. Why? Well, the reason why is, as we said previously, that... He codified the moral law by which the moral behavior of all mankind from when? The time of creation to the end of time is to be governed. And you can go back and look in the early chapters in Genesis and see every one of the Ten Commandments uh, illustrated and set forth long before they were ever codified when the new Old Covenant was instituted. And that's why they supersede the Old Covenant because they preceded the Old Covenant in their institution. They are all creation-based. Uh, and as long as the creation exists, uh, they will as well. Last paragraph. <clears throat> the activity of the high priest and the mediatorial and prophetic work of Moses prefigured the priestly, mediatorial, and prophetic work of Christ and the animal sacrifice system of blood atonement for sins. Prefiguring the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Is anybody missing page four? You're missing page four. That's where it went. I'll tell you the story sometime about that's where it went, okay? I almost brought the page four, but I failed to do that. I'm glad it was you. Okay, <clears throat> so what we see is that the Old Covenant is what? Once again about Jesus, okay? Uh, Jesus' mediatorial work is prefigured in the mediation of Moses between God and the people in the uh, creation of the uh, Old Covenant. Uh, the high priestly work signifies Jesus as priest. The prophetic work of the prophets uh, signify Jesus as the prophet. Um, and uh, so... Uh, the animal sacrifice system uh, also prefigured his work as a sacrifice for sin on the cross. Now notice the last phrase at the top of page 4. 
in the top paragraph, notice it says, The person and work of Christ is richly portrayed throughout the Old Covenant. What do we say the covenants were about? They're about Christ. They're about the redemption Christ bring, brought. Now, now, somebody asked the question a while back, I think it was Eric, you know, why uh, are 38 books given to the Old Covenant if it's just going to be done away? And the answer is, is because it took that much to portray to the degree of richness necessary the saving work of Jesus Christ that was to come. Our time is gone. And so we're going to take up the Davidic covenant next time and the new covenant after that. Um, I didn't think I could get through this in one session. But we'll talk about the Davidic covenant, and we'll talk about the new covenant, and then we'll be done with our review. Okay? So bring these back next week. All right? And we'll finish them up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the truth that is in your word, and especially for the way you've made covenants with your fallen people in order to redeem them. Thank you, Father, that you're restoring us back to the purity we lost. Thank you that you're restoring us back to the land we forfeited. And thank you that you're restoring us back to the relationship that we threw away by our sin. Father, thank you you're doing it all through Jesus Christ. And thank you that Jesus is doing it all through the vehicle of covenants. And thank you, Father, that in the final covenant, the last covenant, the new covenant, we will see the complete restoration of Eden, the complete defeat of the devil, and the complete destruction of his works. We read, Father, in 1 John 3, that for this cause was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so we see how he's destroying them. And in, in destroying them, we are being redeemed. Thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.